right. Welcome to another installment for Under the Dome. I'm your host, Alan Ulrich. I'm here with my uh, Christmas partner here, Mr. Bingle. I'm also here with Sean Williams, who's in a small box down in the bottom of my screen. How you doing tonight, Sean? Oh, God, I'm playing second fiddle to an ornament. Okay. <laughs> well, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, it's uh, It's been a long couple of days. Uh, things are coming apart at the seams, except us. And we're here to calm your, soothe your aching heart and, <laughs> and, and calm you guys down. First thing, I want you to take a deep breath. Uh, you got to listen to, to Swami Allen tonight. Uh, we're going to... We're going to get into a few things tonight that we don't normally do, but uh, I feel like it's something that we need to do. We need to uh, need to bring everything down, make everybody toke it out. I think that, isn't that what Cheech and Chong used to say? <laughs> toke it out. Oh, toke wait, it wait. out, man. What? One oh, toke we over the line. You want me to start doing the Dave routine now? Hey, man, this is tough. Hey, man, it's Dave. No, man, I'm Dave. Dave's not here. Yeah. Okay. Um, we, got, we, <laughs> we went to a whole different team? subculture right there, didn't we? Well, that's all right. You started saying <laughs> heart. I was about ready to say, if you're going to start quoting Billy Ray Cyrus, I'm walking no. out. I'm not listening. No, no, yeah. no, no. Right. But uh, getting back focused and online, we thank you guys for joining us tonight. Um, title of tonight's show is another heartbreaker a cross-country trip and don't forget to take your meds that last part's for me <laughs> um we want to thank uh fan first productions of which we are a production uh you can find our, our podcast in the audio only version on itunes just search under the dome um we want to thank our director of Media relations, Mr. John Pinto, for his hard work. Uh, there's, there's never been two like, uh, like John, and he, he, uh, he makes us what we are in a lot of ways. Um, also, we want to thank uh, the uh, the Cyber Ninja, Joel Smith. Um, he's, uh, he does a lot to to help us get our product out there, and we thank him and the members of his. Uh, his groups on Facebook as well. And uh, Alan, uh, I'm not going to, I, I want to be a little more specific. Um, I'm not going to just ask the broad question as I normally do, what happened against Tampa. Um, ever since the, the clock uh, wound down to the triple zeros, I've been fielding questions and um, there's people that are perched on ledges, almost prepared to fling themselves off in regards to the Saints team and where they are. So we um, we put together a list of questions and we're going to go over these things tonight and just kind of give you guys an idea. First thing that I want to say before we get into this I want to strongly urge and suggest if you are a true Saints fan or Bills fan or Dolphins fan, be careful who you trust. You find someone that doesn't have personal interests to serve. They're good. You can trust them for to be accurate. 
to be unbiased, and to be trustworthy. Um, there's a lot of uh, media, I don't want to misuse any terms, so I'll just uh, drop it at media. They, they fan the flames of panic, more or less, um, because it generates uh, traffic for them. Be careful who you listen to and who you trust. Uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, this is Sean Payton's splash report, as he likes to call it. You know, you're going to start seeing all kind of rumors flying around, who, what coaches are going to get fired on Black Monday and things like that. Um, you know, we can talk about that as that gets closer. Um, Sean Payton's not going anywhere. Um, you've got to realize you've got a 90-year-old owner who just had his mental capacity questioned by his, by his family. In Twice. court, he had to prove yes, he had to prove that he was mentally competent. Um, so he's going to trust Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis, um, whether people like that or not. The guy who probably would be involved in kind of coaching search happens to be a friend of mine, uh, not a close friend, just I'm friends with him, Dennis Lasha. That doesn't mean I have any kind of stroke or anything like that with the man, I just know the man. Um, can you get him to take my resume? <laughs> he won't even take mine. Uh, but Dennis is Dennis is uh, the money man for Tom Benson's media and sports empire. So you know, if there's anybody who is you know second in command in Tom Benson's world, it'd be Dennis. Uh, Gail is supposed to be taking over whenever Tom Benson passes away. So the last thing you really want is a lot of upheaval in this organization. You're probably going to have some upheaval in the Pelicans uh, this year because, like it or not, and let me make one other thing clear for people. Mickey Loomis is not the general manager of the New Orleans Pelicans. He's the general manager of the New Orleans Saints. The general manager of the New Orleans Pelicans is a man by the name of Dell Dennis. He picks the coach. He picks the players. He decides who they're going to sign in free agency when free agency happened. He decides who they're going to trade. He decides all those matters. So this whole thing about, well, Mickey Loomis is too involved in the Pelicans and spread too thin to be paying attention to the Saints, it's BS. It's just people reaching for excuses, trying to find out, or trying to make some kind of sense over – what essentially has been a lot of bad luck. Uh, and I say that because Loomis and Peyton do not sit there and say, you know what? <clears throat> we have two choices here. We can either get the good player or we can go ahead and draft the crap. I think we should go ahead and draft the crap because, you know, it doesn't matter what we do. Fans are just going to enjoy it anyway. They're just going to show up because they're stupid. They don't know anything about football. They don't care as long as the Saints are playing on Sunday. That's all that matters. That is essentially the argument that I am reading online, on Twitter, and on Facebook. That somehow the two men who were able to build a Super Bowl roster, because now, now I'm even reading that Sean Payton inherited a Super Bowl roster. That's the latest one. Sean Payton inherited this team, you know, uh, 
and he got lucky with the, with Marcus Colston and and Drew Brees, but the rest of this was all guys who were here already. That's that's the argument I'm hearing. And believe it or not, people actually used to say it about Jim Moore when the Saints were falling down in 88, 89, and 90. This is before 91 and 92 happened with the divisional win because the Saints went from 12 and 3 to 10 and 6 to 9 and 7 to 8 and 8 from those years. So people were saying things like, well, you know, Jim Moore inherited those players from Bum Phillips. Bum Phillips got a lot of those guys. Bum Phillips got Ricky Jackson. Bum Phillips got you know, uh, Jim Wilkes and Hobie Brenner and, and all, you know, all those guys. Oh, and Bum Phillips drafted out of the USFL. Vaughn Johnson, Mel Gray, and those players. And Jim Moore is just wasting his talent away, and we need to get rid of Moore. And he's just he's just done. It's the same thing I'm seeing with Jim with uh, with Sean Payton right now. Um, you know, I've been around well, you know, for a long time. You know, Alan, I, I have come to learn there's basically two types of sports fans. You have the guys. And this is by no means a, a pat on the back. But you got guys like us that put the time in, do the homework, do the legwork, that know the game. And, and we realize, not to say that we're any better or worse than anyone else, but we realize that there's a bigger picture here, so to speak. And then you have another type of fan that, they're not willing to invest the time. They're not willing to invest the energy that it takes to develop your own ideas, your own opinions. They just repeat what they hear someone else say. Well, you know, and this goes back to the Tampa game. For two weeks in a row, Sean, um, the offenses look terrible. After sure. hanging 45 points on the Rams, they can't score a touchdown anymore. You know, they scored one touchdown uh, with John Kuhn against Detroit. And uh, against da- uh, Tampa, they couldn't score any, you know. And you, you have to look at it in terms of what are the mistakes they're making, okay? And it's beyond coaching because coaching can only go so far. I can draw up a play. It will work. But if the receiver drops the ball or the offensive lineman holds on a big play or we throw an interception, whatever, you know, that hurts. That keeps you from winning, okay? The Saints have, what, 15 penalties against Tampa? 13. 13. You're not going to win doing that. No team wins committing that many penalties because you're constantly – now you're going from second and four to second and 14. Yeah, you know that changes the kind of plays you're going to call, and it changes what the defense is going to do. Okay, so those are the kind of mistakes that cost you ball games. And every week, it seems, and every loss that we've had, we've had mistakes that we do to ourselves. The other team doesn't do it; we do it to ourselves on the field that costs us ball games. No coach coaches a guy to run into a kick returner and fumble the ball. That's what happened in Atlanta, though. No coach uh, coaches a receiver not to come to stretch out and catch the ball, but Brandon Cooks didn't do that. 
on a key third down play. Yes, Willie Sneed was open short. But Cooks was open it down the middle for a big play, a big set of yardage. Yeah. Are there coaching mistakes being made? Yes, there are coaching mistakes being made. I agree. There are some things that they could do better. But that can be said of every team yeah. in I've, the league, every yeah. game. I agree. You talk, you talk to Bill Belichick, and he will go through all the mistakes that the Patriots have made in all, in all 13 games this season. And you go, well, wait a minute. They only lost two. What mistakes? They look great. And he will talk to you about this guy missed this assignment, so it hurried this play. This guy made a mistake here. This guy. They all make mistakes, okay? They make bad calls. You know, the difference between a good call and a bad call is execution. And the difference between a crazy call and a fantastic call is whether or not it works. Yeah. If, If in the Super Bowl, Ambush is not recovered by the Saints, and Peyton Manning takes over right there. It's the stupidest call in the history of football, and people want to kill Sean Payton for doing that. Yeah. Cost us the Super Bowl. Exactly. You gave you gave Peyton Manning the ball, and he easily scored a touchdown, and he took all of the momentum away, and now we're behind, let's say, 20-6. to six. Okay. You can't get behind like that to a quarterback yeah, like yeah. Peyton Manning. Right. This is why Sean Payton can't coach. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I, but it, No, but it worked. So it's the most brilliant, gutsy yeah. call in the history of football. And that's the kind – that's what you're going to get with this team. And I enjoy that. That's, now, that reminds is, me reminds me so much of one of my first college uh, – my history <laughs> professors – told me the first day of class, the first thing he said to the entire class was, be careful what you trust about history because it's always written by the people that win. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I used to teach history, so absolutely. I I used to tell people that same thing. History is written by the winners. Yeah. Um, You know, the losers are the ones that uh, complain about things that happen to them and, and no one recognizes it because no one recognizes losers. Let me ask but, you this, Alan. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of this Saints offense, I mean, obviously, you go back week one, week two, week, I mean, week after week after week, we're just blowing it up. Drew Brees is throwing for 400 yards, four or five touchdowns. And all of a sudden, it seems like the wheel is, wheels have fallen off of the, the carriage. I want to ask you, are we looking at several small negative aspects that are working together and suddenly are becoming an issue or, or maybe a different way of looking at it are coming to a head now, whereas it may not have been that that necessarily that crucial a thing before and and that's what's going on or or is there any validity to these morons that um that's <laughs> that are telling you that oh this is gonna this we're looking at the beginning of the decline of drew Brees right here just like peyton which I, I don't subscribe to that theory, and I make light of it by doing that. But 
you know, there's some people out there that are really, really concerned that what we may be looking at is the same thing that we saw a year ago with Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning went a whole, Peyton Manning had uh, neck surgery and they told him when he had neck surgery, he will never have the same arm strength again. Um, Sean, uh, Drew Brees hasn't had any kind of surgery like that. I, against Detroit, I felt, and against Tampa too, I felt the running game was not very good. Um, you know, people are talking about, well, that's Sean Payton took over play call in those games. Sean Payton called all the plays against the Rams as well. Mm -hmm. He personally called those plays. That's why I put that A Few Good Men clip up, you know, after the Rams game about that Willie Sneed play call. Sean Payton called that, you know. You you can't uh, handle yeah. the truth. Not, not that clip. You know, did you order the code red? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. One. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to quote that one. <laughs> right. But that's, 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 uh, that was Sean Payton in that game. So he calls, so he is still calling good plays, you know, and I explained this on Facebook earlier yesterday. Uh, something else about the play calling, you know, they make a big deal about who calls the plays for the Saints. Um, Carmichael versus Payton. But you've got to realize that all the play caller is on game day, the play caller, is the person who gets the opportunity to talk to Drew Brees in the helmet. The plays are already drawn up. That big old Denny's menu he's got there. Yeah. You know, if you ever zoom in on it, which is they won't let you do that, but I've seen a, what one looks like for a different game. It's situational. It's, you know, on second and two – you know, on this part of the field, these are your plays you can go through. On second yeah. and on third and five, these are the plays. First and ten in the red zone. You know, these are the plays they want to go. And Sean, uh, Carmichael, and Drew all sit there the night before the game. They go through the plays, and Drew says, I really like this play. I really like Spider 2, Y, Banana. You know, Spider 2, X, Banana, or Y, Banana. That's the one. Spider 2, Y, Banana. Uh, green, right, left, spider two, wide banana. That's the one uh, John Gruden likes to call all the time. But he'll say, I like this play against these guys. I like this play. You know, and he, they mark it off. And during the game, you see him with a pen. He's scribbling notes on the game plan uh, because these are adjustments. And, Sean, and Drew is looking at his pad like this, looking at his pad, looking at the formations. And they have discussions, and they say, okay, the safety's doing this on this play when we're in this formation. So instead of running spider Y uh, banana, spider two Y banana, let's run spider X, uh, spider two X banana. Can't believe I'm stumbling over those plays. And these are the kind of adjustments they make, okay? But it's still the plays, okay? Yeah. They, 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 they don't have time in 30 seconds to go, oh, Let's run the draw. Oh, let's run the screen here. They don't have the time to do that because no. you got to have plays. Verbiage. You got to have plays two or three in advance. Right. Look at watch the sidelines when they run a play, and they're going to. They got a first down. They're going to this hack mode. Look at the people going in and out. The play's already decided. These guys already know what they're running. 
So when we yeah. talk about who's calling the plays, it's a, it's a ridiculous argument because it's too, way, way too advanced to be deciding right then and there, okay, you guys go out. No, you guys come in. You can't have that because there's too much going. To, that's an easy way to get 12 men in the huddle. That's an easy way to get delayed game penalties and things like that. Um, well, you know, well, ultimately at the end of the day, it doesn't really mm -hmm. make any difference what plays you call. If you can't execute them, you're not going to succeed anyway. Right. And that was the thing in the Detroit game, and that's the thing in the Tampa game. There was no play that I saw during those two games that, okay, that play works every time. You could yeah. call that play five times in a game, and that play will work. When Pierre Thomas was there, and they ran that screen pass, it's like it doesn't matter when they called it, that play was going to work yeah. every time. Okay, that was a that was a staple of the Saints offense. The seam wrapped. Marcus Colson or Jimmy Graham taken off down that seam to get that one-on-one -on -one matchup with the safety. That play was going to work. When they needed to get a play, Breeze was going right down the seam and hit it. And it worked. The, the nine route, the route along the sideline, they sometimes call it a rail route. You know, that route down the sideline, that was going to work, the back shoulder throw, every time. You look at who was missing in that Tampa game. Unger, yeah. probably your best offensive lineman, your center. You've got Tim Lolito in his place. And going against Gerald McCoy. Pete had a hell of a time with Gerald McCoy. Lolito was very little help against him. So you got two guys being tied up. Armstead's playing on one leg, okay? You know, he's toughing it out, but, it, you know, his knee is yeah. still bothering him. They got some good runs, but they got a lot of stuff pushed back. Kuhn yeah. ran a short, a third and short play. He got stuffed. He did not get the first down. Drew Brees had to sneak over the top to get that first down. So you think about, okay, now it's third and probably one and a half in the Saints are in the shotgun, empty backfield, four and five wide. Why are they doing this? Well, because earlier, Coon got stuffed on the third and short. You know, uh, Pete's having a, a handful trying to deal with Gerald McCoy. You know, Lolito's there, not, not Unger. These are things that affect the play calling. Okay, you don't have Hill there anymore, so you can't go to the to that super wishbone looking offense they like to run. Sometimes um, you really you don't have you haven't had Who Man there all year. That affects yeah. your play calling. It's not an excuse, but what it is is I'm trying to make people understand the thinking behind some of the play calling the Saints are running. Without Michael Thomas there, you've lost a big physical receiver who is the guy that they want to go to on third down. For whatever reason, Fleener is not working out the way you wanted him to. He's about where uh, Benjamin Watson was. I haven't looked at the stats exactly, but he's a – given that there was no Thomas last year on, on the Saints team and given that Colston was pretty much done, um, Watson was your second and third receiver behind Sneed and Cooks. Fleener's now like the fourth or fifth option 
in the offense. Fleener is doing about what Watson was doing, okay, if Watson had to play in this offense with these weapons. So, you know, that, that all affects what kind of plays you're going to call because you don't trust Coleman to run those seam routes. And you can't let Cooks run them because Cooks is too small. Um, and you saw when he tried to cross the middle, uh, he alligator armed it because he was watching that safety coming across because the safety would probably would have killed him. But, uh, you know, Snead was the one running the seam routes. Snead was the one going down. And the other thing was, you know, you can't discount Breeze's overthrow of Cooks wide open in the end zone, Cooks dropping a touchdown that would have taken the lead. Uh, I think the other one was um, Cadet. Was, uh, Cadet, Cadet uh, missing a pass, you know, and he was wide open. I, in the Detroit game, that beautiful screen they had set up to Ingram, the Lions guy's laying on his back, and he trips up Ingram. If he doesn't trip up Ingram, Ingram probably walks in the end zone because there was nobody around. Those kind of things. You know, you're seeing these little things happen in each game. Uh, you know, and it's a shame because now we're starting to get a hint of how good this defense could be with people coming back. You know, Delvin Bros, this has probably been – the most unlucky year ever for him, breaks his leg, misses eight weeks, comes back. Too soon. Just, yeah, comes back. Well, he came back about the same time Rankins did, but Rankins, Rankins is a defensive lineman as opposed to a cornerback. Uh, and I know Burrow broke his leg in the first game and Rankins broke his leg in a practice before, I think, the, the third preseason game, maybe the fourth preseason game. So we're talking about a two-week difference. Yeah. Uh, but still, <clears throat> playing corner is a hell of a lot different than playing yeah, defensive you, tackle. You got way um, more mobility. You got to be light on your feet. You got change of direction, right. change of uh, right. motion. Uh, yeah, it, so it's, he is, he, he's not playing as aggressive as he played last year. And then he goes and hurts his shoulder, gets that bad stinger, and was gone pretty much after that. Uh, they, they, Tried doing another pad, and they sent him to the locker room, and I don't think he ever came back. He did. But but the defense is playing better as a whole. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I got to give I got I to gotta give props. Stephon Anthony impressed me. Uh, he is learning. You know, Except he for is, that he one pass interference. Yeah, he got a bad pass interference in the end zone because he got beat. And there were two times when they dropped in a cover two, and – Anthony drops as well as uh, Nate Stupar dropped in the coverage. And it wasn't Anthony's responsibility to drop in the coverage like that and leaves a big gap wide open for like Sims to get easy first downs and third down. But that's that, that being said, Anthony played much better in this game than I thought he would. I was worried it was going to be another repeat of the Atlanta game. And, uh, you know, he, I, he did, I, I've told people all ever since Sunday, I've told people, you know, the record may not reflect Well, there's not any may not to it. The record doesn't reflect it, but this Saints team right now looks to be pointed towards yet a third in the third in a row, seven and nine season, if we're fortunate. Uh, 
But this is a much, much better team than what was here last year and the year prior. Nick Underhill's the only one that's been saying that. Nick Underhill said that this team is better than the team in 2014, 2015. If we can go back to the tape uh, when we started this thing in the beginning, I had said, given the schedule that we had, we will probably have a worse record than 2014, 2015, because 2015 was an easy schedule. But we probably will have a worse record because it's a tougher schedule going in. Yeah. That's not to excuse performance in this season because we played we have played better. And if we would have finished these games, we probably have a reverse record. We'd probably be seven and five, if not eight and three. Um, no. Seven and five or, you know, uh nine eight and four. three. Nine and three, eight and four. Um but, I don't know how I got that. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all well, didn't um, tell me math was involved in this. That's right. That's right. Uh, but we, the, the point is, we if we don't beat ourselves, we probably have a much better record. But that your record is your record is what you said. Your team is what your record says you are. I should say from you know to quote uh, Bill Parcells. It's just. The losses and the way we're losing games is obscuring the fact that this team is progressing, this team is making improvements. We are really just a few holes away from being that playoff team again. Um, Absolutely. But, you look – how many games have we lost inside of a touchdown? Well, you know, it's just like what happened in 2008. You know, people forget that because of 2009. But in 2008, you take that Minnesota Vikings game, for example, on Monday Night Football, the offense stunk in that game. They couldn't do a thing in that game. The only thing, reason why that game was even close was Reggie Bush had two touchdowns return, kicked returns for touchdowns, two punts. And he would have got a third if he doesn't stumble his own, over his own feet. But offensively, they couldn't do anything. And defensively, they would do the same thing that we've been seeing here. They would make stops and on third and long give up the first down to the Vikings. And you saw that in a lot of games. You saw that in the final game against Tampa Bay where the Saints did not run the ball enough and Tampa was able to come back and win that game too. And that, was the, that became the theme of 2009, finish. We've got to finish. Finish strong. We start out well, and then we, we kind of peter it out and let it go away. And you're seeing a lot of that same thing happen again with this team. They don't know how to finish yet. And in these past two games, the past two losses they have, they haven't known how to start either. You know, they get behind early because they get, what, 11 yards total offense in the first quarter of the Tampa game, and I think they got yep. 26 against the Lions because they didn't get a first down again in Tampa. I think they got one first down in Detroit against Detroit. Um, and that comes on the heels of, in the winning streak, they were scoring touchdowns in the first possession. Yeah. Uh, four of the first five games they played that, you know, during that little winning streak when we got to 500. So, you know, it, it, that's the kind of things that are happening. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> So, you know, 
So is it time for Peyton to go? No, I, I say it's not. If you just if you're just looking at his record over the past three years, I can see why people are saying this, but it doesn't really look at what this team has accomplished or what this team can do. I don't see another coach coming in here with the same roster and getting a better performance. I just don't see it. I think the key key element of what, what we're talking about here, you just, as a matter of fact, you just said, um, of course, I, I, I wouldn't use the whole phrase you said. I don't see another coach. Who are you going to replace the guy with? Well, you got to realize – if you if you fire Peyton, okay, and you fire Loomis, all right, you have a new general manager come in and a new head coach. That general manager and head coach are going to want their players in there. So that means blowing up the roster. There's no way of getting around that. There is no, oh, we're just going to tweak these things and do a couple things. We're going to blow up this roster and start with all new players. Okay, and and, and I I want to I want to make sure and make mention of this because uh, I I think it bears pointing out one of the it may not be at first, but a, a new head coach he ain't gonna start a thirty eight year old quarterback. He may do it no, at, but... at at the beginning because he doesn't have any uh, any uh, any other options, but he's. A man that's coaching for his job ain't going to put it in the hands of an old man. No. Well, he's he, he not going to run an offense that's Drew Brees friendly. He's going to let Brees go. Um, you know, even if we – first off, Brees has no trade clause in his – has a no trade clause in his contract. So you can't trade him. You know, unless he agrees to a trade, you cannot trade him. Okay? And even if you do – what team is going – what are they going to give up for a 37-year-old I don't care that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't care about all that. What are you going to get for a 37-year-old quarterback, okay? You're probably going to get a couple of low-round draft picks. You're not going to get a first-round pick. You're not going to get a second-round pick because of the, the new CBA. Draft picks are too valuable to trade away on old players. We're going to see this with Tony Romo. Yeah. We'll see what somebody's willing to give up for Tony Romo. I'm guessing about a third-round pick for Tony Romo. Um, or two-fourths. Yes, given his injury history. They may give a conditional fourth that could turn to a higher grade if he stays healthy and takes this team to the playoffs and the Super Bowl, whoever he goes to. All right? But for a 38-year-old quarterback – um, who's in the last year of an expensive contract. Oh, we haven't talked about the contract yet. When you trade Breeze, that's an $18 million hit to your cap, okay? Uh, according to over the cap, I think it's $18 million is the hit I saw last night. Um, and all that goes into – that's the same thing happened with Jimmy Graham. When we traded Jimmy Graham, it added a lot of dead money to the cap because that's the way it works. That's what they do. All the bonuses and all the stuff he's supposed to get accelerates to that year. So all the savings that you've managed to accumulate by getting rid of 
players early and riding out this salary cap hell, you've just flushed away by trading Drew Brees. Okay, so you might as well get that idea out of your head right now. It doesn't work. It doesn't work math-wise. It doesn't give you the value you need for him because what are you going to start? You're going to start Josh McCown, who's 37. You're going to go draft somebody. Who are you going to draft? Okay, let's say for the sake of argument you draft, we're picking, I don't know, we're picking 10th, all right? That would be in the neighborhood of a Deshaun Kaiser from Notre Dame. Right. Deshaun Kaiser is the highest-rated quarterback, okay? Um, we really need a defensive end. If you've got one of the top defensive ends still sitting on the board and you've got Kaiser, who do you take then? Okay, let's say it's the top defensive end. Let's say for the sake of argument they try and do what Dallas did with Dak Prescott, okay? They just waited out. And draft, I don't know, Deshaun Watson in the third round. Okay. So you're going to have a rookie quarterback behind a weaker offensive line than what Dallas runs. Handing off the ball to Mark Ingram, okay, who has yet to stay healthy for a whole year. And because you didn't draft Leonard Fournette, unless you want to draft Leonard Fournette, you want to trade up to get him too and try and build this whole thing. And what's the problem that LSU fans have? No quarterback. That's why they can't win. Okay? I was going to say alcohol, but. Well, that too. But, you know, LSU fans bitch about not having a quarterback or an offense that, you know, can develop a quarterback. You know, these are the things you have to think about. What If I do this, what happens then? Okay. Uh, everybody, you know, Everybody is looking – the, the bottom line, Alan, and I've, I've seen this more recently than ever before. People want to say, okay, here's the quick fix. There's no such yep. thing as a quick fix. A quick you fix is going to win you a ball game. A fix the franchise is going to win you a season. If, I, you're, if you're lucky. You get a year like Jim Hazel had in 2000, if you're lucky, you know, because they got yeah. a hit. They did extremely well in the draft, and they hit the lottery on free agency. You know, they hit, Joe, they hit on Joe Horn. They hit on Norman Hand. They hit on um, – uh, I can't think of his name right now, but it'll come to me in a minute. Uh, they hit on Jeff Blake. You know, they, they hit on uh, – uh, even Willie Jackson, he stood he stood up well, you know. But they already had a good offensive line in place because Mike Ditka had drafted, you know, Chris Nioli. He had drafted Kyle Turley. He had already drafted and brought in well, Jim Moore had drafted and brought in uh, 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 Willie Rofe. and you had a good center in Jerry Fontenot, an older center. So you had a good offensive line. You already had Ricky Williams back there to help out. All it took was Mike McCarthy introducing a, an offense that was modern as opposed to Mike Dicka still trying to run the Dallas Cowboys offense from the 70s. Um, <laughs> you know, it, that is it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> That's almost no. as bad as Bum Phillips bringing Earl Campbell here. 
Well, yeah, and there's another example. Bum Phillips, when he came in, it took Bum three years to build a team to the level he wanted it to go, and the best he'd get was eight and eight. You know, uh, in that, that 1983 season, every game was decided by three points or less, you know. Um, Jim Moore didn't hit it until 1987, his second year. They were 79 his first year. So, and Jim Moore was a success story. Uh, that Jim was had, that second year under Moore was the strike shortened season, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yes, it was. It was. And it was a, um, that year they lucked out on a couple of things that happened. And this happens to teams that win championships a lot of times. Um, they played. The Giants that year, for example, in 1987, and Lawrence Taylor, who had never missed a game, couldn't play that game because of a pulled hamstring. Phil Simms was out in that game, and they had Rutledge, I think, playing at quarterback in that game. Um, You know, so you're not dealing with Lawrence Taylor, and you're able to win that game. Um, they, uh, They play the Rams the week they trade. Dickerson. Uh, Eric Dickerson to the Colts. So you're dealing with Cleveland Gary, not Eric Eric Dickerson. You know, those kind of things happen in that season. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering why none of those happened this season. <laughs> well, you know, let's look at the Carolina Panthers, for example. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, ser- but seriously, Carolina goes 7-8-1 in 2014. They go fifteen and one in twenty fifteen, and this year they're five and eight. Okay, um, where's the consistency in that? That's a seesaw. Okay, in the off there's season. No, yeah, there's no. It's not all Josh Norman either. No. It, 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 so, and that's what I'm saying. People looking at the Saints, going, you know, why can't we just build something? Why can't we just build something and get something good going here? And what I'm saying is things happen during a season that prevent you from doing this. Uh, in this case with us, it was injuries. Yeah. Uh, last year was a lack of talent. The year before, 2014, was locker room issues. Yeah. Junior Gillette's getting into fist fights in the locker room, you know. Uh, other, other guys bitching about – or, excuse me, complaining about their – their uh, pay scale and guys that don't want to show up for workouts because they think it's beneath them now that they're getting paid to do it for a living. Uh, just take your pick. Uh, it was a whole host of things. I mean, that yeah. you know, that locker room was so fractured and so divided. You know, that Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis even said, "Hey, we had it. We had a team that uh, where we." overlooked the characteristics that we valued as an organization to build a good team. This year, we've got those kind of players, you know. um, Well, people can say what they want about all the dead money uh, on guys like Gillette and Graham and Spiller. They they can say what they want to. I've been very outspoken about my stance on that. Those guys were not contributing to this team. Uh, well, 
I, I'm not going to talk down Graham. I'm sorry. No, uh, but I mean, well, you know. My, my point is, you're either paying for them to do something on the field or you're paying them to sit on the sidelines. Well, yeah. 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 I mean, here's, here's the thing. You need to have guys that are good guys in the locker room who are willing to, to when, when, as the old saying goes, when the times get tough, they stick with it. They don't just mail yeah. it in. They don't quit. And what you found in 2014 was when things went bad, the team, you could see it, the team quit. You know, here we go again. And didn't put out the effort. Oh, look, you know, I'm not going to go all out to make this tackle. I'm not going to go all out to make this catch. Because um, what's the point? And to be totally honest with you, that's what I saw the entire and, – and I don't mean to, to be seeming like I'm jumping on top of a pile. I saw that the entire season last year out of Brandon Browner. Yep, you did. You saw that out of Brandon Browner. You saw that out of a lot of them. Yep. Um, you saw it even more in 2014. You know, where you're looking at this team going, you are capable of more than this. You know, why aren't you doing this stuff? Why did fans turn against Aaron Brooks so badly? Aaron Brooks looked like he didn't care anymore. Yeah, you know, he was smiling after interceptions, like, oh, you know, well, what the hell? And that's what gets fans angry. They they would much rather see passion on the team. So, you know, the question is, what will we expect out of these next four games? They've got to win. They've got to be professionals, and they've got to go out there and win. Um, because, like uh, McCown said, even if you're out of the playoffs, what happens now is you're on film. That's and right. And the coaches are looking at what you did. You're interviewing for jobs. Yep. And if they see you not putting out the effort, they're going to think you're not buying into the program. They're going to cut cut losses with you. You know, well, because now now you are the reason why we didn't we weren't successful in uh, in 2016. Well, let me uh, ask you this. Do, do you anticipate any – I don't really know what term terminology to use here. Uh, do you expect, just for an example, a player like your Delvin Bro or your Teron Armstead, uh, expect us to, to sit anyone for these no. last three games? No, no. And, and I'm not talking about from a standpoint of – Oh, we're just going to save them like we did with Ingram last year because we had Hightower. I'm talking about from a from an injury standpoint because we know Teron has been battling this this injury, this uh, knee and quad injury for the for the balance of the season. It's been on again, off again, week by week by week, um, and like we discussed earlier, not even remotely close to bro level. Uh, would it? Would it be better to sit them and get them healthy, or are we just going to see all-out balls out? Get healthy for what? Get healthy for the offseason? I mean, that, that, I'm not saying that to you, but I'm saying what I'm asking is, what's the point of sitting them to get healthy? What are they going to get healthy for so they can be healthy? You know, Armstead needs surgery, okay, for example. Um, so if we sit him – 
we might as well just put him on injury reserve and go go ahead and sign re-sign Tony Hills if he's back, or go sign uh, some other offensive lineman to go put in there. Um, I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think Armstead wants to. And that was the other thing we're trying to get across to the players. You know that football is a finite game. You're only in it for three or three years or four years at most. If you're lucky, you get a 10-year career out of this. If you're lucky, you get a career of any kind of longevity. I mean, you think about Deuce McAllister, for example. Wow. Drafted in 2001, he's out of the league by 2008 for seven years. And two of those years were wasted because of torn ACLs, 2005-2007. So he really played 2001. No, sorry, 2001 he barely played. He only played uh, a handful of games in that one. So he played 2002, three, four, three seasons. Five is gone. 2005, injures his knee against Green Bay. He's out for the year. 2006, 2007, he blows out his knee against Tennessee. 2008, he's barely used. Okay? So you've got – one, two, three, four seasons, basically, 16 games of McAllister. And he's your all-time lead in Russia. Yeah. I, the study that I participated in with PFS uh, dealing with brain injuries and, uh, con- well, concussions and knee injuries, we deduced from the, the, uh, the research that we did that the latest – statistics that we could find the average nfl career is between it's just below three seasons mm-hmm. i would say that i would agree with that um yeah. it's just, it's like somewhere between two and three quarter and three uh some mm-hmm. big decimal number but um still the point is you spend uh the vast majority of your life preparing for something where you work for three years. Yeah. That, you know, the only way you're going to have any kind of longevity out of it is you avoid being injured. If you can avoid being injured, then you can start, you know, then you can start building a longer career. You have to be injury free and productive. Um, yeah. Because like Bobby Abier quotes, uh, the old general manager of the Dallas Cowboys in the seventies, uh, Dex Schramm, you know, we're the ranchers, y'all the cattle, and we can always get more cattle. You know, that's that's the mentality when it comes to players. Yeah, so, as long as they got money, they can keep marching those guys through. Yeah. And, and the same so, thing, it, it's just like the draft. You, it, you, There's no reason to t- – and this is a point that I made earlier uh, several weeks ago. There's no point in taking a, a player that has – question questionable character issues uh when the the talent level is not that different after you get down beyond the first 10 picks of the first round Mm -hmm. you're not you're not dealing with that vast a difference in uh ability that you can't just move on beyond a, a, a problem guy and go to the next one there's two the point I'm making is there's too many uh, too many players out there now to choose from. Well, 
depending on how high you draft a character issue player, if you draft them in the first or second round, you could set your franchise back a good three years. Um, if you draft them later in the draft, you can at least cut your losses and not, not suffer nearly as badly. So what what we need to do to beat the Cardinals, because the Cardinals are a lot like us. You know, they're 5-7-1. They have that tie with Seattle. Um, we need to rediscover the offense. We need to get balance in offense again. We need that offensive line to show up, all of them show up on the field and run block and cut Ingram and, uh, and Hightower loose, uh, especially Hightower against his old team. Um, because once you get that balance back, I think you, you'll find that Drew Brees stops throwing interceptions because he's not trying to play catch up the whole time. Um, and suddenly the play calling looks a hell of a lot better. Uh, but we've got to get the running game kick-started. Um, there's no other way around it. Plus, I think this will be the game that um, Cam Jordan, if he gets to the Pro Bowl, which he should, but if he gets to the Pro Bowl, he can do it because I think he should sack uh, uh, Jordan. Uh, Palmer. Palmer, I almost called him Jordan Palmer, his brother. Uh, Carson Palmer, uh, he should be able to sack this guy five times because he's a statue back there. He can't move. And he not just move. that, the, their offensive line is a dumpster fire. Yes, it is. It is. And he uh, – yeah, they should knock him around pretty good because that team that team has a lot of issues right now. Um but that's that's just my take on it. We'll see what actually shows up. Uh, the injury is going to matter a lot. If, if we're still short, Unger and Thomas, it's going to be that much harder. Yeah. If Armstead can't go, that's going to be hard because to win. As, as bad as that offense is, that defense is still uh, still playing at, a, at, a, an, at an elite level especially in the front seven. Well, that's why the running game has to really get going because you've got to make those safeties come down and stop the run. You've got to be able to isolate good matchups, linebackers matched up against Cooks, um, you know, Thomas get free and let Snead uh, deal with with, uh, Patrick Peterson. You need to get those kind of things. You need to get – uh, Fleener needs to get involved and catch these passes and they're coming to him in important times. Those are the things that need to happen. Uh, I think they win. You know, I said I, I expect them to beat Detroit. It didn't happen. I didn't expect them to beat uh, Tampa. Given the injury list, but I expect them to win this game. Uh, I, 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 I feel the same way. Uh, and, and you and I talked about this off air. Going into the Tampa Bay game, like you said, from from the uh, the walking wounded list, I'm not even going to call it the injury list anymore. From the walking wounded list, um, I just didn't didn't feel like that presented us with enough opportunities to even compete. But you know, we get into the game, and the further it goes, the further it goes, the further it goes. We're we're still yeah. in it. You held him to 16 points. You held uh, Jameis Winston uh, scoreless. He did not throw a touchdown or run for a touchdown. For the first you know, time dropped, since he was in middle school. Yeah. You dropped at least one game-winning TD, if, if not two. Two. And you missed a third one. 
Um, so the opportunities were there to win this game. You know, their special teams had to melt down. You know, that that guy tapping the ball at the one-yard line to get the safety the next play. When I know every Saint fan sat there and said, oh, here it comes, 99-and-a-half-yard <laughs> touchdown pass. They're going to hit Mike uh, Mike Evans. He's going to run 99-and-a-half yards for a touchdown. Mike you know? Evans ain't, ain't Brandon Cooks. No, and, <laughs> you know, uh, that that was – that was very exciting to see that happen. That you know, I was very it was happy to see that it was um, because oh, let me ask you. This, we don't have this um, on the script, but I I definitely wanted to ask you: Is it just me, or every year? I mean, Tampa's just like uh, Carolina and Atlanta. We have to play them twice a year. It seems like every year, regardless of whether it's here or there, the first Tampa game, Drew Brees struggles. Last year, first Tampa game, three picks, and we lose. This year? Uh, it's hard to say, but okay. it seems now, that way. It does seem that way. Now, in, in all, um, to uh, be of uh, full disclosure, that was the game where he tore his sh- he got hurt where mm-hmm. and made mm-hmm. him wind up missing the Carolina game the following week. So I know yeah. that um, well, you and I have talked about this several times before. That did play into the way that he played that day. Well, he got, you know, Tampa, the momentum shifted in the second quarter after that safety. Um, and you could see that going through into the third quarter where Tampa really couldn't do a whole heck of a lot. And we were – we had opportunities to win that football um, – Alan Thick died today. Yeah, I just noticed that a few minutes ago. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he had a top – they Tampa had opportunities to put the game away, and they couldn't do it. And the Saints kept – the defense kept giving the offense opportunities to do something, and we couldn't do it. And, like I said, that, that whole sequence when he was first in goal, that was really a microcosm of the game. And then Cook's dropping that touchdown pass was just – yeah, that was very frustrating. But I I think they will play better against Arizona. I just had that feeling. Uh, I'm still hoping for an eight and eight record, um, sure, which is any, possible. If if any, let me let me lay this out real quick, and then we'll like, go back to you. But if they beat Tampa in New Orleans, if they win Sunday, beat Tampa in New Orleans, I think Atlanta. If Atlanta just keeps winning, seals up the division by the time they play us, week 17. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But, yeah, the last week of the season, if that's the case, and it doesn't matter if they win or lose, they're going to stay the same seed. Um, I can see Atlanta resting some of their players, and we get that eighth win. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I can, env- yeah. I can envision that. Okay, because if Tampa loses to us, um, that puts them a game behind, and they have to lose again. They could lose this week. I think they play uh, Seattle. No, they play. They play Dallas this week. Yep. Is Tampa? Yeah, Tampa plays Dallas this week. So if Tampa loses that game and loses to us the next week, yeah, Atlanta will. Atlanta could sit their starters for that final game, so that could make us eight and eight. 
and that could eliminate Tampa as well. Yeah, well, yeah. If Tampa loses two games, I think it does eliminate them because if Washington keeps winning, there's a lot of scenarios to go through. But I, I can just see that happening. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a it's a terrible way to go eight and eight, but I'd rather go eight and eight than another seven and nine season. I'll so take it. Look statistically. All right. Um, we are over time now. It is nine oh six. Um, we always are when we go through these things um, <laughs> because you guys give us a lot to talk about, and uh, we appreciate you guys watching us and sticking with us. Absolutely. Uh, we hope we uh, hope we answered as many of you guys' questions as we could. Um, if you guys do have questions, send them to us. You can leave leave them for us on the the Facebook page on Under the Dome Podcast. Um, you can email them to us at Under the Dome Podcast at gmail dot com. Oh, did I get it? <laughs> yep, you got it. You got it. Under the Dome One, right? Under the Dome One. No, that's gmail. Twitter. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, and one last thing. There will be some staff changes this year, I promise you. Um, you know, I don't know if it would include the, the three usual uh, dogs that people like to beat or dead horses people like to beat. But I do – I can almost guarantee there will be staff changes uh, this season for, for Sean. Um, I thought you were talking so, about with under the dome. I was like, oh, no, man, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. I've been asked. I've been talking about the coaching staff, you know, because people are going to they if they want to yeah. know, you know, are we going to stick with the same coaches? I think there will be some changes. I, 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 especially on special teams, I cannot see Greg McMahon keeping his job. Um, sure, they've gotten better, but. I can see them looking elsewhere for a special teams coach. And I think there's going to be a lot of special teams coaches unemployed, given all the missed extra points this year. Um, But anyway, thank you guys for watching again. Um, Um, Alan, one one more thing real quickly. We we want to ask you guys to to pass along your prayers and your thoughts for – Actually, uh, the the first guest that we ever had on the Under the Dome podcast, uh, Scott Alexander, he's having some health issues. Um, I don't feel right about uh, getting in too much detail about that. We'll just ask that you guys uh, remember him in your thoughts and prayers, and uh, I'm sure he'd appreciate that. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's it's serious, but not – life-threatening, you know, so please keep them in your prayers, though, so it doesn't ever get to that point. Um, And uh, we will start having guests again (laughs) very soon. Uh, I promise you all that. We will have our guests again, uh, including some of the ones that, you know, for whatever reason we couldn't get on the air with. Uh, I definitely want to get Barry and Bob's take on, you know, especially the end of the season, kind of a wrap-up, what kind of changes – yeah, we may have to look at for 2017. As a matter of fact, next week we have yeah. David Harrison from uh, yes. the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a guest. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. So that will be uh, that. That's something we look forward to. So you guys take care. Enjoy uh, the rest of your uh, pre-Christmas week, um, and uh, go Saints. Should win in the desert, and we'll see you next time on Under the Dome. 
Thank you guys. You have a blessed week, man. Thank you.